Hello and welcome to Motive Insights, the Motive Partners podcast where we live and breathe the next generation of financial technology. Welcome back to the Motive Insights podcast. Today's a big day for us here at Motive Partners. Today we announced the close of Motive Capital Fund 2 with total commitments of just over $2.5 billion, significantly oversubscribed, and a day that's been coming for a while. Today, I'm joined by Rob Haber, Managing Partner and Founder at Motive Partners, and Bob Brown, Founding Partner and Head of IR, the team that have been laser-focused for the last 27 months on this big milestone that we finally achieved today. So what have we been doing over the last 27 months? Well, to put it bluntly, pounding a lot of pavement, telling the story, and bringing people on the journey. We've had over 1,400 LP meetings and Zooms. We've met with over 600 limited partner prospects, and we welcomed to the fund just over 70 new limited partners, whom we are extremely grateful for. Today, Rob and Bob are going to tell you a little bit more about what this milestone means our gratitude to those who've supported us, and uh, what's next at Motive Partners. Over to you, Rob and Bob. Thanks for that, Sam. It's a pleasure to be here today with such great news and such a great milestone for the firm. Well, Rob, we've come a long way since that day in 2016. We were discussing in that cold January in London, Motive's right to exist. And, you know, as you reflect back on this journey we've taken, what do you believe contributed to our achievements? Thank you, Bob. It's great to be here. And thanks for doing this. As you can imagine, it's a very special day for us here as we close Fund 2. Great success. I would argue, if I reflect back, the most impactful is this ability to connect to the ultimate client, the ultimate partner in this business. It's RLPs. The, the ability to convince somebody to be an early mover in the first close all the way to uh the last closers who basically were following the story, who from the beginning were very curious and actually felt that there was a need for a different kind of approach for private equity with deep operational skills and deep investment skills and deep innovation skills, but actually waited to see the proof points come to life, to see the team come together, and to now look back and say, all these things we said, we were very consistent The vision translated into execution, the execution translated into basically what I would argue very solid performance. It's very powerful. And I have to add something to it because as you can imagine, the world evolves very quickly. In this new world we live in, the reflection was of the last closers, you guys should be better positioned than ever because you have deep operational skills and innovation skills. So to be proud of also having been able to communicate with LPs and LPs understanding what Motive does as a firm. And of course, a lot of firms have been very successful and will continue to be. A lot of people believe now is the time to be close to a firm like ours with those kind of skills. Absolutely true, Rob. And quite clearly, it has to begin with the believers somewhere. And fortunately, we were able to have a number of strong believers and they continue to be with us as LPs from Fund 1 came into Fund 2, almost 100% of them, in fact. Obviously, the word fund close or the topic of a fund close leads one to believe that something has come to an end, when in reality, we're really just at the beginning here. You know, there's much hard work ahead of us. 
and with this great support from the LPs and these commitments, you know, comes an enormous responsibility. I know you personally and we all as a firm take that responsibility very seriously. And in the end, this is about delivering a product, a high quality product in the form of market leading returns to investors. Beyond returns, there are other things we deliver as well, which we'll come to in a moment. But before we get there, what do you think about the current market, Rob, and, and the opportunities that we're seeing today as a firm? Yeah, Bob, very good question. There's several elements to it. And I'm not going to make any predictions on the economy because I'm not an economist, but I do feel that I have very good sense and understanding what our sector will do and what our sector is able to do in certain scenarios. In this specific, nobody knows. In this specific situation, you need to have different scenarios. And you need to be able to understand what happens. What if it's a hard landing? It's a soft landing. What, tons of things, market conditions that we stay very close to. The beauty of, of motive is that we never got too excited. And somebody once said, it's never as good as you think it is, never as bad as you think it is. So we always stayed very disciplined. And we'll talk about this in a minute. But if you ask me our sector, and this is why I'm very excited. And I, I hate to say it because there are some people in the recession who will not do very well, is this is a market where it gets more complex is better for us. Because again, the principle of motive is we only invest in businesses we truly, truly understand, and even better than that, businesses we can influence. And you cannot influence a business you do not understand. The last couple of years, some people had success that didn't realize it, or didn't even understand what they had invested in. Those days are over. As somebody would say to me, the amateurs have left the building. And there's some blood on the wall because some people got too excited. We never paid 40 times or 30 times revenue because we never really felt that that is a proper reflection of the value of a certain company. On the one hand, as people know, and I'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this podcast have a pretty good knowledge of our portfolio, it's doing well, it's doing extremely well. Some people might even say some of our private marketplaces will do better in recession, but that's as much about the impact that we can have, but more importantly, the resilience of our sector we're in, the traditional financial technology, the ability to provide IT and infrastructure, so support to run financial services. Actually, if anything, some of these businesses do better in difficult times. So for us, I think it's an opportunity. I do believe that some people will leave the industry. I do believe that we will also have an opportunity to buy some assets that we always liked and couldn't afford and be able to start affording. But more importantly, we should be able to find deals and put them together. And it's a bit the same we've done historically, but now some of the people said, okay, I don't understand what the outcome is going to be. I don't know what the impact is on wealth, what the impact is on capital market. We're running scenarios as we speak. We have 180 people in our organization. We're running scenarios in wealth management, capital markets, insurance. What's the impact of this? Where can we find something that's an oversold asset? And so we feel excited to make our model work in this industry. There's no doubt about it that there's pain. And of course, we've invested in 19, 20, 21. But if I look at our portfolio, you know it better than I about, or as well as I do, we've been very disciplined. And we're not in a rush. I think we're probably more cautious than we were two years ago when it comes to looking at opportunities. And ultimately, there's deals to be done at six, seven, eight times EBITDA. And I was born and raised in those businesses. As you know, I've been a couple of decades in this industry. If you look at how Fiserv and FIS were born and evolved and 
There are unbelievably resilient businesses, by the way, who actually perform more EBITDA in difficult recession times than other companies do. And those times are coming back. So it's good news for us, Bob. Rob, we clearly saw that with some of our LPs watching the tides turn and actually seeing increased interest towards the end of the fundraise as we had to go out and increase our capital. So I think many of our partners saw that on the other side as well. Rob, obviously during the course of our discussions with some of the reporters, the common question came up, you know, how have we been able to achieve such a success in this fundraise? And one of the reporters had identified that it looks like this fund is the largest multiple increase successor fund that the industry's ever seen. So one of the questions that's been had is, you know, why? How did that happen? And obviously performance matters. In the end, it is about the product we deliver. But beyond the performance, there's something else here with our industry. And I'm curious how you think about the customer sophistication, the LPs, and how they've changed over time and how the industry's changed as a result. Obviously, you've built multiple companies in your past. There's always a product and customer relationship that exists there. And how do you reflect on your history of building companies and having built Motive and what it's like to listen to the customer here and what matters and and what's important? Yeah. So basically, private equity is a relatively young industry, as you know, although both of us have some history here and you more than I do in the traditional private equity. So you've seen some amazing firms being born from nothing, from uh, an idea in the 80s to running four or $500 billion. Reminds me of when Silver Lake started 25 years ago. I think yet again, there's a new era. I think the LP is listening. And never forget, the LP has a huge responsibility as a pension fund or a family office or so on. And their job is to go find people that can execute without undue risk on an alpha And they've seen these firms become bigger and bigger and bigger and diversified and do very well. And every one of them always said, but we have to keep an eye out for those who who basically bring something new. And you've seen some of these traditional firms evolve to be more operationally led towards their portfolio companies, more operationally led towards their target market. But they've rarely seen from scratch with that kind of talent on the investment side, on the operational side and the innovation side, be at par with each other. And I think that's what I was, I was so surprised. And the curiosity is only growing, Bob. And it's been growing actually daily now where people said, okay, I'm going to continue to be committed to private equity. If anything, the public markets, I'm going to spend more money in private equity. Some feel that their allocation should grow, but they're also saying, I just don't want to put them in some traditional buckets. I want to find those players that I can feel in these difficult times, will perform better because, and you don't have to be Warren Buffett to say that, but Warren says great things about it, is this notion of understanding what you're investing in. And we are probably the best example of people who are not only know what they're investing in, but more importantly, who have a good understanding where certain things are going. And these certain things are the essence of the offering of motive. So as a result, the LPs are recognizing that more and more. And, and as you know, Bob, better than anybody, the last people that came in are not traditional fund to investors. They basically said, listen, I can't miss this trend. 
And this trend is not, oh, fintech is an amazing environment, because I think, as I said, it's still a very young industry, and we'll talk a bit about the, the future of fintech. But in general, I have to tell you that the reception of our story and the need for LPs to find products where people are hands-on operators and innovators is only growing, and it's growing even more in difficult times. Oh, absolutely, Rob. And I think when I joined Motive, the thing that was incredibly compelling to me, or one of the things that was incredibly compelling to me was your vision and understanding of the industry and the importance that the LP, the ultimate customer, plays in this industry. And what we're trying to do, you know, beyond just the requirement of delivering great returns to investors. So on your topic of what's happening within fintech, I mean, let me try to bring together, you know, not just what we do, uh, looking at companies from a financial technology perspective, but bring it into the private equity industry. You know, as with any industry, private equity is undergoing some seismic shifts in how technology and analytics and new skill sets are being applied to value creation. What are some of the exciting areas that you think we're seeing today within the private equity landscape for technology, particularly? Yeah, it's a fascinating debate, by the way, because if I'm if some empathy and think I'm an LP, I wonder this question about, am I too exposed to technology? What does technology mean? We had these huge valuations, which, by the way, to be clear to everybody listening, we never really embraced them, but they did exist. So people are wondering, what's the future of technology? And I want to first and foremost say, Bob, these are my personal opinions. They are a big part of Motive, but we have lots of smart people at Motive. I hope everybody at Motive, and I'm sure they do, they all agree with me. But this is my strong personal opinion. We ain't seen nothing yet when it comes to applying technology to many industries. And honestly, I can't speak what technology means for health and pharma, but I can say with some credibility what it means for financial services. We have so much more work to do. And we have to deconnect what's hot and what's not on any given Sunday or any given day and stick to the fundamentals. Where do we believe technology is going to have an impact in our industry, if it's in finance or commerce? And what's the impact of that? And how does that translate into more cash flow? And how does the scalability matter? The beautiful thing about technology, it is scalable. You can have $100 million in revenue, you can have a billion dollars in revenue, and you don't need 10 times as many people to execute upon that revenue. So that ability to grow businesses through technology and then to make big two things that technology does to many industries, on the one hand, it makes the industry itself more efficient. You can go all the way down to really unbelievable frictionless efficiency, if you want to talk about it. But the other thing it does, it promotes innovation. And between those two, you create new products, you create new energy, you actually reinvent economies as a result of that. And our ability as an investor to see those technology trends, and once those technology trends are there and the profit, the company's profitable, us to come in and make it more profitable, or us to say, okay, I love this model. It's been doing very well in Europe. We're going to bring it to the US or vice versa. We ain't seen nothing yet. What I mean by that is if you look at a process of a loan, or if, if you look at your experience as a consumer, there's still so much to be done. And there's so much money to be made to basically be in the underlying B2B and B2C infrastructure that does that. So I'm very bullish that we will continue to see, and I don't know if any other industry, in my opinion, that's undersold or oversold that had that kind of leverage. So anybody who has exposure to technology, I would urge them to continue to do lots of homework and to continue to see, to be able to invest in people 
who understand what technology enables in certain businesses. And if you do that well, I'm 100% convinced that there lies your alpha. And that is ultimately the question all of our LPs have. And I think that's what preoccupies the 180 smart colleagues I have inside Motive is to understand from an investment perspective, okay, what are the different things we need to look at? What have we done historically? If you look at, and you know this better than anybody, Bob, the kind of quality of analytics we're doing in Motive on the investment side, it's top quality. But those people also at the same time can relay and interact with the operator who can say, okay, this scenario makes sense. This doesn't make sense. This makes sense. Oh, this I've done here. This we've done there. And then the innovation person at the same time prior shoulder to shoulder says, have you looked at this trend? This can reduce the cost to execute a loan by 60%. This means that JP Morgan, instead of making this, can do that. So they will certainly be interested in, in this technology. And by the way, this hasn't been applied, applied in Europe. So let's make a European version of this product. And to be able to do that while you're building a business case, while you're building a narrative to go to an investment committee that says, why would I believe you? Show me the historic data. That is the power of the motive model. And because of the promise of technology, it's going to be very important we continue to deliver on that capability. And that's why we get out of bed in the morning, Bob, to do this. Yeah. Great, great response, Robin. You know, one of the things that I've clearly seen through many of our discussions is the lights going on in the eyes of some of our LPs with respect to how they can work with us on their own technology needs as platforms and financial services firms themselves. So that's something that I think will be an interesting space to watch for us as we move ahead. So Rob, you mentioned earlier on the investors looking for something different. We started out with a unique operating model, bringing together the investor, operator, innovator capabilities. And in building the firm, and you know, you have not single-handedly, but you've been on point to bring in every senior person in the firm today the senior recruiter that you are for Motive. And you oftentimes refer to hiring an individual because they have a nine. You'll never give anyone a 10. I know I keep trying to get that score, but I, I never quite earn it. You're getting close, Bob. You're getting close. 2.5. You're getting close. You're getting close. <laughs> but it kind of dawns on me that in thinking about as an organization, having such a large and diverse group of high performers in an organization requires a certain management style. And I quite clearly see your management style as being unique and a great advantage, but would love to hear from you when you wake up in the morning, you know, how you think about that challenge and the opportunity that it provides. Great question to a little bit more complex. I'm going to say something like very personal. So there's a couple of principles that I live by and they have to do with my backgrounds, where I came from and the successes and the struggles I had to build the firms that, that I've been able to build. And it sounds like a one-liner you read on a cornflakes box, but this ability to be willing to embrace, to understand who you really are, what you stand for, and to be very quickly be able to say, I'm not good at this. And I'm not a very big believer that you should work on your weaknesses, but you should work on your strengths. And that you sort of very quickly try to find people that are actually better and I know everybody says that, but I can assure you, if you're able to work alongside the Bob Browns and the Jeff Bookies and the Black Masters, and I can go on and on and on, people in the firm, then you know what I'm saying. It's that ability to really understand that you're just one individual. And I put on my t-shirt in the morning, and that t-shirt is the t-shirt of the entrepreneur, the person who believes in its business, but that also, first and foremost, absolutely believes that there are no super people. 
but there are super teams. And to be open and to be willing to accept somebody else's approach to answering a, or responding to a problem and then putting them together and letting them coexist ultimately is what makes Motive so great. And then we are here seven years later, this culture where it's okay to be an awesome investor and he now or she now knows how to talk to a great operator. I really get very, very excited about people with talents. Like you've done an amazing job on the investor relationship part. I mean, I wouldn't even call it recruiting, but being able to convince like a Jeff to be my partner, to be our partner, I should say, or anybody else of the names that you see uh, on our website, it's been a thrilling journey. And ultimately, you feel that some people have a problem with that. Some people feel they have to be the superhero. And actually, private equity in general has been a very individualistic skill. Oh, he's a great investor. I do not believe that in today's world, with today's ability to understand data, to listen to experts, that one individual is ever a good decision maker in an investment. And this is what we have to prove long-term, Bob. And that's why I think you used the word responsibility very wisely in the beginning. It's we want to continue to prove that as a team, collectively, with that kind of talent and to create that kind of culture that we together make a better investment decision. And if you give an example where some people run all the numbers and they say, oh, it's awesome. Numbers-wise, they've done a story. And then somebody says, have you thought about this? Did you know that this thing that made them very successful two years from now, it will be obsolete? That is what people want to get out of motive, that ability. And you can only get that with tons of talent. That is what my job is. My job is to bring that talent together and then let them do their thing. So I feel I feel very proud of the team and I'm just one guy doing my job here. <laughs> Sounds like the words of a great leader, Rob. I don't know about that. Let's move on. <laughs> I truly believe it. Absolutely. But comments on team. Obviously, one of the things that the firm really does do as a team, and this is one of the reasons why I like the area of capital raising, is fundraising. And so ultimately, we have many people to thank for the success of the fundraise, including our limited partners, but also including every part of the firm, because the firm really does have to come together to get a fundraise. And that's something very unique in this setting. Well, look, I think before we, we continue on and occupy any more time of the listeners there who I hope are still with us, any comments on what's next, Rob? I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, as an entrepreneur, which is probably the t-shirt I should get, to put a, an entrepreneurial lens onto private equity is what happened to Motive in, when we started in 2015, late 15, early 16. And there's lots of opportunities there as an entrepreneur to reinvent the sector. But what I realized from the beginning is it's all about trust and it's very long term. So if you ask me long, long term, I feel very strong about consistently performing for our LPs and consistently feeling that we deserve our fees and we deserve our sharing of wealth here and we have an opportunity to bring a superior product to life, but that we also will be able to institutionalize over time at scale is going to be very important. And every entrepreneur dreams to last. And every decision we made inside Motive, Bob, you're very close to that, is investing in the new generation. We believe there is this unbelievable career opportunity. And this podcast might be for not just LPs, for prospective LPs, but also I want to have an opportunity to say this is also a podcast where I have an opportunity to thank all 180 people inside Motive. And I hope they continue to find the same energy that I have and that 
will last long beyond. And I'm, by the way, I'm going to still be here for the next 20 years, Bob, some bad news. But for sure, to create this institution and to create the motive way and that people felt fulfilled as well professionally that they delivered the product to the LP, that they had an impact on their community. And this is another thing. And I think some of the most successful private equity people have had a huge impact on their community. I think we have as a group also responsibility to be in that leadership position to do very well for our community. And what's next is to continue to play that role as well as we play it by being an alpha provider to return capital to our LPs. Well, Rob, I look forward to being around with you in 20 years if you'll have me. <laughs> it occurs to me, you and I have never done one of these before. You know, Sam and the team do a great job in publishing these. Maybe we embarrass them. They want to keep us away from these things, but maybe we should do them more often. But most importantly, I look forward to doing one again as we get to the end of raising fund three one day. That'll be fun. With that, I'm going to pass it back over to Sam. Thank you, Bob and Rob. You guys have said it all, but I think there's just one final way to go out, and that's with a huge note of thanks and gratitude to each and every one of our new limited partners for Motive Capital Fund 2. We've worked hard with each of you, and you worked hard in turn to become a part of the Motive family in this second fund, and we couldn't be more grateful and we understand the responsibility that you bestowed upon us. So we're going to continue to be laser focused on supporting the growth of our portfolio companies for you, our LPs. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for your time and insights. And thank you very much for tuning in. I'm Sam. See you next time. The information contained in this podcast is intended for discussion purposes only. It is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation for the purchase or sale of a security or any services of motor partners. All investing involves risk, and there is no guarantee that past performance will be indicative of future results. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are as of the date of recording, reflect the views and opinions of the persons expressing them, and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of motive partners. Motive partners makes no representations or warranties as to the accuracy, reliability, or completeness of any information provided, and undertakes no obligation to update, amend, or clarify the information in the podcast, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise. Any securities, transactions, or holdings discussed may not represent investments made by motive partners. It should not be assumed that securities, transactions, or holdings discussed, if any, were or will be profitable, or that the recommendations or decisions made in the future will be similar, or will equal the performance of the securities, transactions, or holdings discussed herein. This podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are based on beliefs, assumptions, current expectations, estimates, and predictions about the financial industry the economy, motive partners or motive partners investments. Nothing in the podcast should be construed or relied upon as investment, legal, accounting, tax or other professional advice or in connection with any offer or sale of securities.